Hi, everybody, and welcome back to the Macro Compass. The window for early investors in my upcoming macro fund is still open, and I'm glad to report it's filling up very rapidly. We are already at 40% plus of its maximum capacity. Early investors in the fund would receive a very preferential fee treatment they carry on forever, and also free access to my flagship macro research. In case you want to get in before the early preferential window closes, send an email to fund at themacrocompass.com and I will share with you a memo with more info. To the article of today, Keynes once said that markets can stay irrational longer than you can stay solvent. I love this quote because it speaks about the power of narratives and my own humble readaptation of that would be narratives can dominate macro longer than you can remain solvent. This is why today we are going to cover the two strongest narratives out there. China is doomed and artificial intelligence is the new revolution and therefore US tech will dominate forever. The first chart in the article shows the two narratives visualized. And in order to understand what is going on in China first, we need to take a small step back. But don't worry, it's not going to be like Putin interviews with Tucker Carlson where he started from. Uh, 1884, I believe. So the story is that the Chinese stock market has been pretty much in a free fall despite regular attempts from authorities to stabilize markets. In the meantime, the real estate market in China continues to suffer and policymakers are grasping at straws trying to stimulate the economy. To understand what's going on in China, we need to talk about the concept of balance sheet recession. A balance sheet recession is a toxic economic loop where after being burned by deleveraging and lower asset prices, households and corporates simply refuse to take in new credit and focus on just repaying their debt and shrinking balance sheets. That causes a vicious loop of further deleveraging, lower asset prices and lower economic activity which cannot be stopped with lower interest rates. The chart in the article with the T accounts and all these building blocks will be very important to understand how this works. So as I speak, please try to follow that. Let's first focus on the top part of the chart. And let's quickly cover how our credit-based system works in normal times. In this case, you will see the private sector, which likes leverage, particularly if cheap, and therefore lending activity is robust. Banks will make new loan, they will create new credit, and therefore new real economy money is created. And what that does in normal times is that pushes economic growth and asset prices higher. That's how our credit-based system works in normal times. But what happens during balance sheet recessions? So let's focus on the bottom part of the chart instead. After Xi Jinping's clampdown, house prices started to drop therefore hitting the capital position of highly leveraged Chinese households and property developers. There was no softening of the stance and continued weakness in the housing market led developers and households to a rush to stay solvent. So what you do there is you pay back your loans and your mortgages as fast as you can. That's deleveraging in motion. There is also a lack of new credit and the actual deleveraging together, those hit house prices and asset prices further, and therefore you create a vicious loop, which is also known as balance sheet recession. 
So how do you structurally fix a balance sheet recession? And is China moving in the right direction there? One thing we know for sure from history is that you cannot fix a balance sheet recession by lowering interest rates. And Japan shows us why. In the early 1990s, the Japanese real estate bubble burst and the world's most famous balance sheet recession unfolded. The Bank of Japan lowered and kept interest rates to 0% for decades after, and actually nothing happened. When you hit corporates and consumers' balance sheets hard through a deleveraging process, a balance sheet recession, asking them to take on more credit isn't going to work even if interest rates are dropped to 0%. And a visual interpretation of that is in the chart in the article. For instance, between 1999 and 2007, interest rates in Japan were mostly at 0%, and the Bank of Japan was doing quantitative easing. You can see that in the chart as the red line, the base money was going up. But Japanese banks could not expand any credit to the real economy. You can see the blue line going down. So despite 0% interest rates, bank lending actually contracted in Japan for a decade. So that shows you something. The people banks of China, the central bank of China, can cut interest rates further, but that's not going to do much. The best chance to stop a balance sheet recession is instead through targeted fiscal stimulus. Exactly like the US did in 2009, and in a stealth way ever since, one should say, the Chinese government can step in and use its balance sheet to throw fresh resources at troubled real estate developers and households. It's akin basically to a capital injection, which stops the bleeding and allows the private sector to repair their balance sheets over time in a more friendly way. The problem, though, here is that China is not doing fiscal or even seriously considering it so far. So yes, it's true. Chinese asset valuations are getting cheaper by the day. But China needs a serious fiscal backstop to prevent a more important balance sheet recession in order to convince investors that the worst is behind us. Investors today can instead be easily convinced of another narrative that artificial intelligence will be a human revolution and that there is no high enough price to buy stocks like NVIDIA. NVIDIA trades at over 30 times price-to-sales ratio and it is now apparently worth more than Canadian GDP or the entire Chinese H-shares market. If you have a look at the NVIDIA chart today, it looks a lot like the Cisco chart in 1999-2000 and it makes you wonder whether we are at extreme euphoria given the parabolic move higher we have just witnessed. The other side of the coin, though, is that Nvidia is a very profitable company that's growing pretty aggressively. As you can see in the article, its free cash flow per share keeps increasing and some analysts are expecting it to deliver 100 billion plus of free cash flow over the next few years. Now, obviously, this assumes Nvidia will not get any proper competition down the road. So I personally will not even pretend to be a stock analyst, and therefore I have no particular opinion on Nvidia itself, but there is a big lesson to be learned here. As my readaptation of the old adage goes, narratives can dominate macro longer than you can remain solvent. So the lesson here is that shorting the tech bubble in the first half of 1999 would have probably wiped you out before being able to profit from the sharp downturn in dot-com stock prices that followed soon after. The lesson here is that momentum is very powerful, 
and being early in fading momentum can be akin to being wrong. The other lesson, for example, is that buying Alibaba at $76 in early December looked great at Zante. That was a cheap 10x price earnings for a tech company. Yet, three months later, here we are, and it trades at $72. In a balance sheet recession, assets are indiscriminately sold to repair balance sheets. Now, if you're looking to fade extreme narratives without getting quickly wiped out, options can be an interesting way to do that. A long call or a long put option has a fixed limited downside, which is the option premium, but a potentially large upside. The trick here is that it doesn't come for free. You're often charged for the luxury to sleep at night through expensive implied volatility, which is baked in option prices. Additionally, options bring in another dimension, time. If you buy a one-month NVIDIA puts, you have to be right pretty quick, not in three months. You actually have to be right pretty quick. So there is another dimension, which is time. Today, the cost to hedge a mere 1.5% drawdown in the S&P 500 over the next month is pretty low. As you can see in the chart in the article, that cost is only 11.5% implied volatility, and it sits on the low side of the pre-pandemic range. Now, that doesn't mean that this edge will necessarily make you money, but it means that your ex-ante odds at least are not bad. And I want to finish an article, the article with another adage, because as an old friend would say, you should hedge when you can, not when you must. Now, before you leave, if you feel like you want to express your gratitude for my work, just simply share this piece with your friends and colleagues. It really helps me a great deal, and it's free after all. And a reminder that the window for early investors in my upcoming macro fund is still open, but it's filling up very rapidly. Already 40% plus of this early investor window is filled. And the early investors receive a very preferential fee treatment. They carry on forever and also free access to my flagship macro research. So in case you'd want to get in before the early preferential window closes, send an email to fund at themacrocompass.com and I will share with you a memo with more info. Said that, this was it for today. See you again soon here on The Macro Compass.